Turn in your Bibles to Galatians. We're in chapter 5. We're going to read some other verses. But let me just read that. Then we'll dismiss the kids in a moment. Galatians chapter 5. A couple other passages of Scripture I'll read to you. I, I believe they're on the screen. Galatians chapter 5. 22 and 23. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Exodus, second book. Genesis, Exodus. Verse, uh, chapter 34, verse 6 and 7. The Word of God says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, Abounding in steadfast love, has said covenantal love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Our last reading is in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says this, The Lord is not slow... To fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word uh, this morning. So children, you're dismissed with children's church. We are in Galatians again and those other verses. I'll have them up on the screen. Um, As you know, our summer series, we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit, singular fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. And our series has properly been called Fruit of the Spirit, Internal Gospel Growth. Because the fruit of the Spirit cannot and will not be generated simply by the human will but is the work of the Spirit of God. It is not that we have no part in the bearing of fruit, but it can only grow as one relies on and rests in and presses in the gospel to their hearts. We've been saying all along, and we will continue to say, there's a major difference between a morally restrained heart, a heart that is uh, being trying to rely on deeds, on works, to be justified, a works-deeds-based justification, and a supernatural, renewed, restored, renewed heart that is relying on the gospel. There's a difference. To be justified, declared righteous, and forgiven of sin is by faith alone, faith in the sufficiency 
of Christ's work. His perfect life, his atoning death provides forgiveness of sins and by faith, his righteous life has been imputed, counted toward us. But Paul says the opposite of that is being justified by works, by deeds, and that's what it means to be living under the law. Paul tells us that to strive in our justification is to do a a kind of like a self-effort justification, and those deeds that it produces in our life, you'll find in Galatians 5, verse 19 through 21, they are what's called fleshly desires, epithumeo, over-desires, And those over-desires that want to keep us living under the law so that we are justified by deeds and by works produce things like sexual immorality, enmity, strife, dissension, division, drunkenness, etc. These deeds happen when we make things, even good things, ultimate things. They become idols. When we live in order to get something we feel that we must have outside the gospel... It will become an over-desire because we will chase after it. It's something you have to have. It's something you are, are, are running towards. It's something that you will continually need in order to feel justified. That's what it means to live under the law. It is self-justification by our own deeds and works, something that we have come to believe will give us will validate us, will, 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 will make us or make us feel that we have purpose and meaning and value. And they become over-desires. We have to have it. It's a pseudo-salvation. It's a fake salvation. It'll never last. Tim Keller says that if we think and feel and live like this, is to forget what you and I mean to God. How he sees me in Christ. Talk about justification. That we are forgiven and the righteousness of Christ has been given to us. He says, but rather what we ought to do is say this, by your spirit, Lord. Allow me, allow me to reflect on the love of Christ and the gospel. And when we do that, when we reflect on that, when by the Spirit we understand that, all those things that we are running after, all the attraction to that, all the powerful attraction to those things will lose its grip on us. And that these fleshly desires, in the Greek it's the sarks, you may have heard that before, wants to live under the law. And we try to justify ourselves with, with deeds and, and we run after one thing or another. Now, Christianity, if you've never heard this before, Christianity teaches us that you are either justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, forgiven because of his atoning death, his perfect righteousness has been imputed to me, or we are, in a, we are seeking to be justified in other things. There's no other option. There's no other option. Our heart is either resting in the work of Christ or it's chasing after something to give it its meaning, value, and worth. Whatever that is, and whatever you're clinging to, that's your idol. But when there's a renewed heart, a supernatural changed heart, that's resting in the gospel, resting in the sufficiency of Christ, we're freed. We're freed from self-justification, and we're freed to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Why? Because the gospel tells me I am forgiven, I am accepted, I am cherished by God. My worth, value, and meaning is secure in the gospel. Nothing will separate me from the love of God. The gospel tells me that I can have joy in the midst of suffering as I continually look at the wonder and beauty of Christ in the gospel. 
You have peace with God because the gospel, Jesus dies and brings us into relationship with God. We have peace within because of the gospel. We've been justified by faith and now we approach the throne of God knowing that he is our loving, caring father. We rest in his love and peace comes into our lives. Now remember this. I say it often, I'll keep saying it. Religion is I obey, I work, I try really hard, I serve God, and then I, God will love me, he will accept me, he will love, care for me, and receive me. That's religion. The gospel is God loves me, God forgives me, God accepts me because of the work of Christ alone. And therefore, I obey, I serve, and worship him. There's a big difference between the two. And today we'll see how the gospel brings patience, patience into our lives. We have so much more technology today, don't we? We are, we are smarter, I think, in some ways than ever before. We are definitely more efficient with the, with the technology, but we have become more and more impatient, an impatient culture. In 2013, the Pew Research Center Internet and American Life Project sums up this recent study it did about people under the age of 35, and, and it, I'm not under the age of 35, but it speaks about me too, and the dangers of their hyperconnectedness, their lives, and it sounds like a drug prescription. This is what it says. Negative effects include a need for instant gratification and a loss of patience. They go on to say it's not just the millennials, not just the generation Y, Anyone who is growled in frustration while a website loads up, not fast enough, and holds, has to hold on to a doctor's office knows that tolerance for delay is in short supply. But impatience, they say, may be most pronounced among the young, the people are wired from birth. Someone writes, most of my generation has grown up not having to wait for anything. In the study, they realize that retailers who are promoting this kind of stuff, are battling over same-day uh, same delivery. Walmart and, and eBay and Amazon always, they, you know, you could have it now. One click. Researchers said that people are just so impatient when loading up videos. They said when someone loads up a video, it takes two seconds before they start abandoning if it's not downloaded fast enough. People start leaving the website. In five seconds, if it doesn't go, the rate is 25%. If it takes up to 10 seconds, half of the people will leave your website. Sound familiar? Let's be honest, we're impatient. We're impatient people. We try to upload pictures, man. It's just not going fast enough, sending around the world. We just want to throw our phone. Or me, recently, I flew to Florida. Usually a two-day trip by car. Forget walking. Two days. And car. I get here in two hours and 40 minutes, and I'm there visiting with my grandson. And then I'm upset because we got there 10 minutes early, and then I opened the door fast enough for the airplane. Come on, what are we waiting for? Or this one recently. This is confession of a pastor. 2.30 in the morning, I'm going to get my daughter. She takes a red eye in from Seattle. There's not a car on the road, probably for miles, and I'm waiting at a red light. Like, Really? This is ridiculous. I'm like, they can't, like, no one has some sort of monitor. It's like, I'm the only one on the road. Why am I waiting, right? I and mean, we send rockets into out of space, but I, I'm sitting on, waiting at a red light. Four of them. You know, you're waiting online. You're like, why are we, why, 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 is this, why is this line not moving? I mean, whose fault is it, right? 
Well, why do people not, why do people do 55 and a 55? Everyone knows you get at least five miles an hour over that. 60, no one's going to touch you. Even 62, you'll be okay. Not you kids, all right? I know the parents going, oh, that's great. Way to tell them. (laughs) Patience. What is it? Perspective, how do we understand it? And then power, how to get it. The Bible speaks of patience. It does not speak of just simple slowness. Some lackadaisical, who cares mentality. The fruit of the Spirit is not laziness or apathy. Proverbs 13, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. You're not necessarily more spiritual because you're patient while you're waiting for a table in a busy restaurant. On the other hand, being patient, biblically patient, doesn't mean that you can't have a sense of urgency. That, that you, it's not, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not a sin to want things done in a proper time frame and, and be productive and use your time wisely. In fact, the New Testament word patience, there's two of them, but the one here in Galatians 5, macrothumia means macros long, thumia means passion or temper. It literally means long temper. The, the ability to hold your temper the King James Bible uses the, translates that word in the Greek, long-suffering. It's, it, it's being under provocation but not losing one's patience. It's putting the brakes on anger. It, it, there may be a time where expression of anger is righteous and good, but it must be controlled and, 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 and right. We have the, uh, the deeds of the flesh is contrary to this when it talks about fits of rage. Now, Tyndale has a great description, kind of long, but I think it's good, of the word long-suffering, patience. It says, the ability to take a great deal of punishment from evil people or circumstances without losing one's temper, without becoming irated and angry, or without taking vengeance. It includes the capacity to bear pain or trials without complaint. The ability to forbear under severe provocation, severe, and the self-control that keeps one from acting rashly even though suffering opposition, even through suffering opposition and adversary or adversity. And you're thinking, that's, that's what I want. That, that's, what, that's what I want. Give me the ability to be punished really well and take it really well. I'll sign up for that. But here's the thing. All of us love patience when it, we talk about our relationship with God. Right? All of us love... You know, Israel were a rebellious people. There was a time the Jewish people were completely rebellious and God was patient with them, just like he is with us. In fact, in Exodus chapter 34 in the scripture reading, up to this point, Israel had grumbled, they quarreled, they tested the Lord. Uh, Moses had gone up to the mountain, came down, and they're having his wild orgy and worshiping this, this golden calf. And in Exodus 34, after all that, this is what the word of God says. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, that's Moses, declaring himself, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in covenantal steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, 
forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. You see, our Lord, our God, is a loving Lord who in the face of stubborn unfaithfulness and repeated rejection idolatry every day still says to his people this morning, neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present to come, nor powers or heights or depth, anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is slow in his anger toward us. And everyone say, Amen. <laughs> I'm glad he is because I can be very difficult. And he is patient toward me. Romans 2 says that, do you presume, Paul's writing, do you, do you look down at scorn at the riches and kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? His kindness toward us, his, his mercy and grace toward us leads us to repentance. In 2 Peter, Peter writing to the dispersed uh, community, and he tells us that the delay of Christ's return, Christ is coming back, but his delay is not an indication of slowness on God's part, says Peter, but on his long-suffering and his will of desire, not his will, not his decretive will, if you hear at the Reformed Theology class, his will of desire, not his decretive will, that he does not wish anyone to perish. Look what it says. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. We are very impatient, but God is very patient. Someday, God is going to step in and judge. And his wrath will be poured out. But he continues to wait. Not because he has to and not because he's late, God waits because he is merciful and kind. God's delay does not spring from his unwillingness or his impotence, but his mercy and his patience toward us. God's patience means that every morning as his children awaken, they have opportunity upon opportunity in their schools, in their workplace, in their communities, whether it's co-workers Wherever those special moments that God places in your life to show and to speak of his love and his salvation. And if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you have never come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you never have come to faith in Christ, you're here because God is lovingly patient with you. So hear me carefully. Patience is an attribute of God. And God's patience is long, but it's not infinite. He warns us that there's a limit to his long suffering, which he will not extend. Yes, God is the ultimate one in patience. He's shown great patience to his creation and particularly to his blood-bought children. But God restrains his anger, his righteous anger against a, a, a rebellious race. But one day, 
One day he will judge the living and the dead. And, but I should say, when God does judge, that will not be an act of impatience from some annoyed, irated God, but an act of wrathful justice from a God who is holy and good and loving and patient with you and me. But God must punish evil. Those whose sins are judged at the cross where Jesus died as our substitute will go into a place of eternal presence of God and those who refuse to come to Jesus for their salvation will be tossed and placed away from the presence of God in a conscious place of eternal torment. Friend, trust Christ today. His patience toward you is today, right now. Turn from your sin. Place your faith in him. Turn and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and have trust and faith in God. His patience toward you is calling you to the cross. What's the perspective? How, how are we supposed to view this? The long-suffering, this, this patience, forbearing patience of God is a character, is part of the character attribute of God and, listen, is supposed to be reflected in the children of God. Supposed to be reflected in the children of God. R.C. Sproul wrote this. It's funny because it speaks of me. Uh, I can really relate to this. But this is what R.C. Sproul wrote. He said this. Part of the incomprehensibility, the unfathomable understanding of God, part of the incomprehensibility of God in terms of my own relationship with him is this. I cannot fathom how a holy God has been able to put up with me marring his creation to the degree that I have. For me to live another day requires a continuation of God's gracious patience with my sin. I'm like, yes, that's me. The bare and simple question is this. How can he put up with me? He says the mystery is compounded when we add to the patience of God, not only his patience with me, but his patience with you and you and you and you multiplied exponentially throughout the whole wide world, end quote. You see, a real understanding and appreciation of God's patience toward us will help us be patient with other people. Fortunately, God gives us lots of practice. Lots of opportunities, lots of circumstances. Gives us lots of ways that we can bear the fruit of patience in our day. And you know what? When we do, when we do, when we exhibit the fruit of the Spirit of patience, we bring glory to God. The, the watching world sees, we're declaring to this watching world, that God is good and that God is patient with me. And when we don't and we're impatient, we discredit our faith. We do not reflect the glory of God. We hinder harmony in the church and we put an obstacle in the way of mission. Living and loving people and pointing them to Jesus. Nobody wants to be around a hot-headed, explosive person who wants to tell them about God's love and grace. Number one, we need to understand that we reflect God's patience. Number two, we must develop, if we're going to have long-suffering in the face of mistreatment of others, listen, a conviction, a firm conviction about the faithfulness of God to work on our behalf. If we're, if we're faced with hatred and, or you know, being poorly treated, 
and disrespected and, and we're called on not to retaliate, we must see that God's sovereign hand is in all the things that happen. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, I got on the screen, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good, not doing evil. Trusting, having faith, relying upon. God is a God who will, who will you know, uh, we entrust ourselves so that God has the place where he will have justice. But we are committed to his faithfulness toward us. For again, 1 Peter 2.23. Now, this is written about Jesus, right? 1 Peter 2.23, it's on the screen. When he, that was Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, Jesus, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, if you remember in the book of Genesis, we went through that book a couple years ago, Joseph had a firm conviction of the sovereignty and the providence of God in his life. And how God was faithful to his people. After his brothers kind of beat him up, threw him in a pit, kind of abused him along the way. It says at the end of Genesis, when everything came full circle, he said, Joseph, to his brothers, you intended harm to me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. All of Israel was saved through the providential hand of God. A person who is patient... Under mistreatment by others is the person who's developed a confidence in, in, listen, in, in the sovereign wisdom, power, and faithfulness of God and is willing to entrust their circumstances into God's hands. God bends and moves the entire universe, every molecule, uh, to that appointed end, even the stupidity of Lou. Job 1. After everything came crashing down in Job's life, he said, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Then, verse 22 of chapter 1 of Job, In all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job was a man who was patient. Patience is grounded on the composure of the heart being satisfied with God's will and God's pleasure in your life. And that's because of the gospel. So when other people hurt you, cheat you, when other people do those things to you, you can exercise patience knowing that God is sovereign and loving. We can learn to trust God being, you know, if, if we're being impatient, we're, we're, being impatient is really being impatient with God and it comes from a failure of faith in God, a, 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 a grasp of the sovereignty of God and a failure to accept God's providential care in your life, in my life. God is sovereign and he loves me and he cares for me. In fact, um, this week I was, just, I was doing a little Google search on how to get patience, that kind of thing, just seeing what the world has to say. Um, they, they, they say all kinds of things, like when you're waiting in line and you're getting aggravated, you know, think of a, a vacation spot that you like to go to, or, you know, all kinds of, you know, take a deep breath, all those kind of things. Patience, scripturally, is not passive. Patience, in, according to scripture, is active. It is, it is a determination of the sovereignty and goodness and faithfulness of God that you can rely and rest upon. Whether it's unexpected delays, whether it's goals that were hindered or just annoying people, we can be slow to be angry as we rest in God. 
steadfast and persistent, willing to, to suffer aggravation, even persecution, by looking to Jesus. Look at Romans 12. Look at the words that Romans, uh, Paul uses. Rejoice in hope. Can you rejoice in hope? No matter what's going on in life, you can rejoice in the hope of God. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. How? Be constant in prayer. Look up. Now, I, I said this at the first service. Let me say it again. I want to be really clear. Being patient does not mean that we are to stay in a clear, sinful, and abusive situation when there's a way out. There are occasions when we are justified in reacting to such things, but patience, godly patience, will show itself through thoughtful, measured, and appropriate responses, not explosions. And that comes from a heart who is resting in God, resting in his patience towards us, resting in his sovereign, providential faithfulness toward us. But most of the time, if we're honest, but most of the time if we're honest, it's not the circumstances when we lose our patience. Those circumstances doesn't come from out of control things are going on in my life. We actually lose our patience and we want to retaliate. Not when there's nothing... Not when there's nothing we could do about this, but when there is something we can do about it. Does that make sense? We're irritated when we're in the position and the power to actually do something. And when we have the power and the authority to do something, many times that's when we rise up and we lose control and we're impatient with people, right? So husbands and wives. Schools. uh, Whether it's... um, relationships in the community, maybe somebody at your work, a co-worker. You, you know, you, all these people, maybe you're, you're getting mocked for your faith. Maybe your, your spouse is mocking you. Maybe your co-worker is disrespectful and dishonoring to you. Maybe they're even hostile toward you because they know you love the Lord. Maybe you're in school and you're under persecution because of, 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 of loving Jesus. And although you can find masterful ways to pay people back, husbands and wives, you love them anyway. That's the fruit of the Spirit. You love them anyway. You have the ability to pay back and retaliate one way or another, and we can come up with fanciful ways to retaliate, punish. But then we are mindful of God's patience toward us. We're mindful of the sovereignty of God, that we can be patient and exhibit self-restraint and, and think through and wait on and trust in God. Impatience condemns and focuses on faults and failings while patience finds a way forward because it's both helpful and hopeful. And if we're honest, many times we find ourselves being impatient, I know I do, when I can't control the things around me. When I want to play the sovereign one, I want, I want to know why the plane didn't get there when it's supposed to. All the things that are out of my control and I don't get what I demand and I pray the sovereign one and then I wonder why I'm miserable, frustrated, and disappointed and yes, impatient. What I need, what we need is greater humility. A reorientation, a spiritual reorientation that will enable us to see and to be patient people. If we are, listen, patience is sustained in the knowledge of God, in his faithfulness, his sovereignty, and that he is in control of the details of our lives. Life's not free with problems, right? Life's not free from problems. But God wants to, by his spirit, to show us and so that we know patience in our lives. Even in the midst of difficulty, 
The word tells us that faith tells us in Romans that we all things work together for good. For those who love God, those who are called according to his purposes. So one, we need to recognize that God is patient toward us. Two, we need to recognize his faithfulness and sovereignty and his providential care for us. He's working all things out for his glory and our good. And number three, which we see right here in Romans that I mentioned earlier, is we need to understand that being patient with people is an act of love. It's an act of love. We must choose to love that person in the midst of hardship, difficulty, irritation, and what's best for them. When Pastor Ricky a couple of weeks ago preached on the fruit of the spirit of love, he said this, love is the selfless, sacrificial outpouring of a heart transformed by the gospel. Love is the selfless, sacrificial outpouring of a heart transformed by the gospel. We love because God first loved us, 1 John 4. How often do we discipline our children out of anger while God always disciplines his children out of love? We're ready to punish the person who provokes us while God is eager to love and forgive them, those who fight against us. We're eager to exercise our authority and throw our rights around while God is eager to love, exercise his love, lay down his rights as he laid down his life for us. That kind of patience is what we're talking about. It doesn't ignore frustrations. We've been frustrated, floor. But what it says is, in my frustrations, I will not let it get to me, but I will respond in a way that glorifies God and shows the love of Christ to others. Love will enable us to control our tempers when we are provoked and to seek to bring healing to relationships, not blow it up. It seeks the ultimate good of others. Rather than the immediate, which is culture is so prone for this, rather than the immediate satisfaction of our own provoked emotions, I need to let it out now. 1 Corinthians 13, chapter on love. Love is patient, kind. Love does not envy and boast. Love is patient. Having the perspective, being patient while loving people is not just simply biting your tongue, dealing with aggravation. Patience that is detached from love, patience that is detached from love, that seeks revenge, is not the biblical fruit of the Spirit called patience. Because patience as a fruit of the Spirit is the outworking of love. Patience as the fruit of the Spirit is an outworking of love. Colossians 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What are we to put on? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. How did the Lord forgive you? Fully, completely. That's how we ought to forgive one another. And above all, verse verse 14, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. God is patient. His spirit produces the fruit of patience in us as we deal lovingly lovingly with one another. It's it's part of the fruit of the spirit. It is the character of God. And we are to model that as we lovingly are patient toward others. Why? Because God is lovingly patient toward me. We live in community. We talk about it here all the time. 
It's one thing to do something on your own. You've got no one to be patient with. Come together and do VBS together. Serve the Lord together. And let's be honest, sometimes we irritate one another. Not me, of course, but all of you. It must flow out of love. Love, God's patience toward us, his faithfulness toward us, his sovereignty toward us, his goodness and providential care toward us, and his love for us. So how do we get it? How? How does this power to forgive, excuse me, this power to be patient come? The cross. The cross puts everything into its proper place. There we see the majestic portrayal of God's perfect patience. There is no better example in all of Scripture, in any act in the universe, of a long, drawn-out restraint of anger than we see in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was falsely accused, who was betrayed, deserted, beaten, mocked, taunted, humiliated, spat on, and then nailed to a Roman cross. And in light of that provocation, he displayed divine and true and perfect Patience, showing us it's a supernatural work, man. It's a supernatural work. Two ways. First, how do we get this power? First, don't be so quick to judge people. When we are impatient and we lose our temper, we're actually taking out vengeance on others. You hurt me. You're hurting me. You're doing this to me. You're aggravating me. So now I'm going to get you back. I'm going to hurt you, aggravate you, and and irritate you back. You know what we're doing, right? Look what it says in Romans and other places in Scripture. It's not the only place. It says, never avenge yourself. Leave room, but leave room to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That actually means don't take matters and vengeance into your own hands. Why are we told that by Paul? Because we tend to sit in the judgment seat of God. We act as if we are him. We know everything that's going on. And God says, get off my throne. What God wants us to do is let him be God. Trust in his justice and his timing and his vengeance and his wrath. Leave it to him. The truth is, the person that you just blasted, the person that you were just very impatient with, And hostile towards and irritated at, you don't know what's going on in their heart, soul. You don't know what their day was like. You have no idea the struggles they've had. You have no idea their life, what's going on in their heart, everything they've gone through. You don't know their background. You don't know anything, really, when it comes to a heart issue. So get off the throne and be humble. Second, when we're hated, persecuted, and under severe provocation, we must continue to forgive. If you notice our text, our text, our texts that we read today, when it talks about patience, a lot of times it's talking about forgiveness too. In fact, in Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant, some of you know that parable, God shows us that in order to be patient toward others, we really need to understand the depths of forgiveness that you and I have been, been forgiven of by God. In the parable, the first unmerciful, the first servant, who was unmerciful servant, is indebted to the king who calls him into account for amount of money that he could never pay back. That's the point. The king is, is a betrayal of God. The unmerciful servant is a betrayal of us. 
The amount of money that's owed to the king is trillions of dollars in our day and could never be paid back. It's a parable and a a hyperbole to show the depth of sin we have toward God. If you got a letter in the IRS tomorrow and said, listen, you owe back taxes, $10 million, you'd be like, yeah, you'll wait to get that money. I ain't paying it back. I don't have $10 million. Never will. That's what happened here. And then he falls on his knees knowing he could never pay it back. And this is what he says to the king. You got it right there in verse 26. Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. No, you won't. And out of pity for him, the king released him and forgave him the debt. He begged for patience, promised to repay back. He had pity on him and the king absorbed the debt and set him free. But right after that incident, he leaves and he finds another servant, another fellow slave who owes him $5 and impatiently demands payment now. Now, and he even has the guy thrown into jail. When the king hears what just happened, he goes and finds the first servant that he forgave trillions of dollars and drags him to the courtroom, right? And he says to this in verse, you have it there in verse 32. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Didn't you experience mercy, great mercy? Should not that experience of mercy roll over to the mercy and kindness and grace of other people? Shouldn't have you been patient? You see what the slave was doing? The slave was acting like he was the king. He was sitting in judgment. He called the other servant to task because he failed to really see and really realize the mercy that was given to him. And all of us are acting like kings and judges when we hold forgiveness and we are impatiently and, and we, we judge people, we demand things from other people that God has freely set us free in his mercy and grace and kindness and patience toward us. And this parable describes us as being, or can, can, it can look like if we are that impatient person that we are that unmerciful servant. I mean, every day, every day, God patiently bears with me. Every day he bears with all of us. And we are tempted to become impatient with our friends and family, loved ones, like our faults and failures are are, are so little and everybody else's is so big. God calls us to graciously bear with the weaknesses of others just as we want God to bear with us, tolerating them, forgiving them just as we have been forgiven. Now, the only thing that will really give us the power and change our hearts to stop acting like we're the sovereign one, the king, judging others, not forgiving others, is by constantly, regularly, consistently looking to the amazing love of the true and better king who became a slave. How do we get the power to be patient? By pressing in the truth that the one who has every right to sit on the throne, who because of our sin has the right to judge us, pour out his wrath upon us, that one stepped off the throne, stepped off the judgment seat, and came down and went to the cross to forgive us of our sins. The judge of all the earth was judged our sin upon him. Darkness came over the hill as God poured out our filth, his wrath for our filth on his son. Jesus takes the punishment we deserve. And then Jesus has the audacity 
to be hanging on a cross, look down on those who crucified him and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. (laughs) Forgive them? They're guilty. And yet Jesus is dying for their guilt. Instead of losing his temper, instead of calling down the angels of heaven to destroy the earth, he forgives them. Patience is the Holy Spirit-given ability to suffer well like Jesus. The example of perfect patience. Never was there a man more patient in suffering than Jesus. Never was a man who suffered so well and so much. Patience, therefore, is the capacity to suffer the afflictions that a sovereign God allows or sends into our lives without grumbling, complaining, losing your cool, firing back in anger, and blowing up just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. Look what it says in 1 Peter 2.20 again. If when you do good and suffer for it, endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It takes grace. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, for me, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He, Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Patience comes when we press in the truth that God suffered in the person and the work of Jesus Christ and as he did, Jesus entrusted himself to the Father. He did not impulsively react or retaliate or or punish but forgives. Christ is fully aware he's not a victim of any kind of circumstance, out of control plot. He is confident in the faithfulness and sovereignty and providential care of his Father and submits to the divinely appointed circumstance. And we must see that in our lives and rest in the eternal outcome, trusting in God. This kind of patience comes from the Spirit of God. It comes from the internal gospel growth. It is not something, some people just have that temperament of, of, of patience. That's not what this it's not how somehow digging deep in yourself. Because even those who have a, a, a temperament of patience has a breaking point. Supernatural work, though, brings us patience in the midst of fierce trouble, struggle, hatred, and persecution. We are people. We are to be a people in trying circumstances determined to be rooted in the gospel. A deep and abiding relationship to the one who endured such hardship and cruelty on the cross. You see, the way to bear fruit, mark patience, a slowness to anger is to reflect constantly on the gospel. The forgiveness of God, the patience of God toward us. If God lost his patience with us, where would we be? Away from me, that's where we would be. Away from me, he would say. We would be without hope, plunging into an eternity of hell. Internal gospel growth happens when we consider how patient he was when he was falsely accused, tried, beaten, mocked, and crucified for you and, in some sense, by you and by our sins. If God were not patient, we would not be saved. We have provoked him in our rebellion and wrongdoing, but he is patient kind and forgiving 
know what? We need to remember that next time we want to be impatient with others. When we, when we face hostility and trials and we begin to be impatient with something or someone that's hindering our agenda, remember the patience and forgiveness and love of God in the gospel. Father, we are a people who are always looking for your patience. I don't think any of us ever prayed for justice and judgment. No, Lord, we come and we pray, forgive us, pour out your love upon us, be gracious to us, merciful to us, and most of all, be patient toward us. Lord, please help us to be patient toward others. Father, and I pray, and we pray for someone here today that may not understand the patience that you're showing to them as they hear the good news of the gospel declared. Father, we ask as we all respond, we would do so in faith, believing and trusting in the work of Christ for your glory and our joy. Amen.